Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. uh, Philippians 1. I want to read verse 1 through verse 6. And here we have Paul uh, has written this to the Philippians. And starting with verse 1, it says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ, Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for all making request with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I like what verse 6 says, that he which has started a good work, he's going to continue to perform that work until the return of Jesus Christ. Now, if I were to title this tonight, I would call it the process. And when I was thinking about this, I was kind of thinking about the process of, of our walk with God and, and the process of, of our Christian life. And now when you look at the word process, that word means just simply a series of actions or steps taken in order to achieve a particular end. For example, if I want a good steak, I have to take time to prepare it and do the things that make it taste a certain way. I have to work on that steak in order to achieve the desired results. Now, I could simply just come home and pull the steak out of the packaging and throw it on the grill for five minutes, maybe turn it over once during that time, pull it off, and and eat it. And it would probably be pretty good, depending on what kind of cut of meat you got. But if I want it to taste really good, I need to take the time and and work on that steak a little bit. I think we all know that Brother Britt, he makes a really good steak. And I'm sure the process that he takes to make his steak doesn't just start as soon as he buys it from the store. He doesn't just throw it on the grill. I know when I prepare my steaks, I like to, to, personally, I like to take them the day before. I'll open them up. I'll put a little kosher salt on both sides. Then I'll take them and I'll stick them in the refrigerator for 24 hours. And I'll let that salt get all the way down deep inside of them. And in my experience, it makes it have more flavor and it makes it more tender. So we see that there's an importance to the process of things. There's an importance to how things are done. And so it's important that we learn these processes. You know, when I'm going to prepare a steak, I just didn't figure out how to do it off the top of my head. I'm not that talented of a cook, but I had to learn that process from someone else. And so it is with our walk with God. It's important that we learn and understand the process of living for God. Living for God is, it's full of actions and it's full of steps 
that will lead to a particular end. And that particular end could be overcoming temptation. It could be becoming a more patient person. It could be becoming a better spouse. But ultimately, it's about getting to heaven. And it's about living a life that when the end has come, we can leave no room for doubt that we have lived a life that was pleasing to God. Now, unless you grew up in church or have been around church for a while, you know, when you first came in, you didn't know what the process was for you to live for God or what steps to take or what steps would be required. But there was a process that was put in place for us to be saved. We had to be born again of water and of spirit. We had to repent. We had to be baptized in Jesus' name. We had to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So in the beginning of our walk with God, there was a process. There were a series of steps that had to be taken in order to achieve that desired result or that desired end. However, our journey doesn't just stop with just being saved. That's only the beginning, as most seasoned saints will know. That was actually the easy part. Especially early on, how easy was it to witness to people? How easy was it to be excited about coming to church? How easy was it to be excited about telling someone about God? It came easy in the first days, in the early days, after we'd been saved. But that was just the beginning. In order to be successful in our walk with God, we have to learn how to build and develop healthy habits. If you look at professional athletes, for example, they will spend approximately 20 to 30 hours a week training their body. Every meal they eat is designed to enhance their performance. Even on rest days, they're scheduled with massages and things that are going to expedite their recovery and things that are going to help them to recover as quickly and efficiently as possible. So it is with our walk with God. We have to be intentional living for God. There are a few foundational steps that we have to execute. It's important as a Christian to pray and read our Bibles daily. It's important that we incorporate fasting into our spiritual disciplines. I've said this before, and I've always said that the steps that are required to have a successful walk with God are some of the simplest things we can do. You just pray, you read your Bible, you fast, you witness. Some of the simple, I mean, it makes, it's easy. You just, just do it, right? And if those things are done on a consistent basis and consistently, it makes living for God so much easier, doesn't it? When I pray and I fast regularly, it's, it's so much easier to live for God. I'm in the right mindset. But however, as, as simple as it seems, at times, it can seem like some of the hardest things to do. You know, how many times have I been guilty of waking up and not getting up when I was supposed to and having an excuse of why I can't stop and pray or why I can't read my Bible that morning because I'm too busy and I need to go. 
How many times have I made that mistake only to get to the end of the day to find that now I'm too tired to pray or read my Bible? But it was just a simple thing. All I had to do was just get up on time, pray, and read my Bible. But I just didn't do it that day. In Mark 1, we see a perfect example Jesus gives us about prayer. In Mark 1, verse 35, it's talking about Jesus. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Here Jesus shows us that prayer isn't just reserved for when we're at church or just for Sunday. Because this is the day after Jesus had been in the synagogue. The day before verse 35, he had been in the synagogue preaching and teaching and casting out devils and delivering people and healing people. But yet, after expending all that energy on a Sunday, he decided that next morning to get up early He got up before anybody else was up, and I'm sure he got up and left because that was just the easiest thing for him to do. If he waited for everyone else to get up, then he would have throngs of people following him. But for whatever the reason was, he got up early, and he went and found a place all alone, and there he prayed. It was there he prayed. He rose early. Now, for me, this is a tough one because I am not a morning person. So rising early doesn't always work good for me, but with this being one of my biggest struggles, you know, I, I, I have a hard time always getting up before dawn to pray. Usually, if I'm lucky, the sun will wake me up when it comes up. And I'm sure it could be up for debate to how important it actually is to pray super early in the morning or what time it is you actually pray or how early it is you pray, but I think it has more to do with the fact that he's given us an example of that this was his priority. This was the first thing he wanted to do when he woke up. And I think that's the important lesson here. It's not necessarily what time you pray, but making it a priority. Because I know some people, like my wife, she likes to sleep. If she could, she would sleep until 1 o'clock if the kids would let her. But as long as her priority is to get up and pray, I think that's what's important, making it our first priority. I try to practice the same principle no matter what time it may be, when I have to start my, my day, let it begin with prayer. I'm not always successful, but honestly, that's what I try to do. Let it begin with prayer. And let it begin with Bible reading. Now, once we've learned these steps that it takes to live for God and have a, a successful life living for God and an easier walk with God, it's important that we repeat those things daily. So I think it's important that we understand the principle of repeating the process. Excuse me. You know, I try every day before I teach, I think, what's one way I can do this to where I won't be thirsty when I'm on the pulpit? Because I always hate having to stop and drink water, but I haven't figured it out yet. I tried to cut out caffeine today, and that didn't work, so I'm still figuring that out. But anyway, we need to repeat the process. The same goes for athletes. Once they've learned, and even during the process of learning, they repeat the same thing over and over. Because their coach knows that as long as they continue to do and practice the same routine over and over, it will eventually become like second nature. 
Now, one person that's a great example of this would be Nick Saban. And for those of you that don't know, he's a football coach for Alabama. And I apologize to anyone that's not a fan. But he is arguably one of the most successful college football coaches of all time. And he coined the phrase, the process, when he's at Alabama. And this is something that they live by there. And with that came the groundwork for how they train their student-athletes. Now, Saban himself, he himself has his own process for his personal life. And I thought this was pretty interesting when I read this. He has a certain way he likes to do things. It is said that his day on campus begins no later than 7.15 every morning. He gets up at 6.15. He watches the Weather Channel until 6.40, not 6.45, but 6.40. He would eat two little Debbie cookies and three small bites each and drink his first two cups of coffee for the day. Between 12 and 1 almost every afternoon, from the middle of February until the 1st of June, Saban would play an intense game of basketball, four-on-four, with members of his staff. The rules never changed. Three games to 11. Baskets counted as one point, three-pointers, or one-and-a-half points. These were Saban's rules. Afterwards, it was lunchtime. The same meal every day. Iceberg lettuce salad topped with turkey and cherry tomatoes. The usual dressing, light Dijon mustard on the side, which has been said by close observers to actually change from time to time. He has a master calendar in his office that plotted out 18 weeks in advance of what he was scheduled to do. Eight, I'm sorry, 18 months, 18 months, a year and a half, he schedules his life in advance. In an interview with 60 Minutes, Saban was quoted saying that you function better when you're in a routine. Most people do. Saban is obviously a proponent of, a proponent of forming habits and having routines. Many would say this approach is fundamental to his success as a football coach. His approach is what his players and staff have come to learn and to know as the process. And so it is in our lives. The fundamentals that it takes to live for God, they matter. The little things, they matter. The details, they matter. Even though they may seem small compared to everything else we have going on in our lives, if we can learn to repeat and learn to repeat and do it over and over again, day after day, to pray, to read our Bibles, to fast, and do these things on a daily basis, repeating these, these steps until they become second nature, and we do them without putting much thought in it, we will begin to see how this process will strengthen our daily walk with God. Along with the, the learning and repeating the process, I think it's equally important that we try to enjoy the process. You know, I don't think, I don't think prayer and Bible reading and all that or studying the Word of God or would have to be boring or unenjoyable. Now, I would have to, I'd have a hard time arguing how fasting can be an enjoyable thing, but I think we can overall enjoy the process. In our scripture text in Philippians chapter 1, 
We see Paul talking to the Philippians, and in verse 3 it says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Here we see Paul remembered the Philippians. They were on his mind. And in verse 4 he goes on to say, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. So not only did he think of the Philippians, but when he thought of them, he remembered them with joy. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but when you actually know what Paul had to endure while he was in Philippi, it is kind of a big deal that he thought of it with joy. Because when Paul was in Philippi, he was constantly mistreated. He was found, you know, to be in stocks. He was found to be in bondage. He was, he was found to be in prison. When Paul was in Philippi, he was scourged, meaning he was beaten with a whip. He was abused. He wasn't treated very kindly, but yet he found it with joy. And for the time, he saw very little for the fruit of his labor. He didn't see a lot happen at first, and yet he remembers Philippi with joy. See, Paul, he looked upon his sufferings for Christ as his comfort. He looked upon his sufferings for Christ as his crown. And he was pleased to hear of the place where he suffered. He was not ashamed and he did not despise to hear of that place where he suffered. Instead, he remembered it with joy. I think Paul had the mindset that was relayed in Galatians, and that is, so not to be weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you do not faint. Paul found joy through the trials and tribulations because he knew that in the earth, it would be, in the end, it would be worth it. He trusted in the fact that God had sent him to that region, and no matter what came against him or what happened to him, he was doing the will of God. He didn't allow his circumstances, he didn't allow his problems to determine his mindset. And I think just like Paul, as we walk through life, everything will not always go the way we want it to go. Everything may not always turn out the way we had hoped or imagined. We will have times of struggle. There will be times that we find it hard to make it on a Wednesday night. There'll be times that it's hard to get out of bed to pray or read the Bible. There'll be times that it's hard to witness. There'll be times that it's hard to put on the smile and act like a Christian. There'll be times where we don't want to do the things that it takes to be successful as a Christian. And there'll be times that we'll feel like giving up. But if we just trust the process, if we can find a way to put one foot in front of the other, we will find joy when we look back on what we went through with the knowledge that God meant it for good. The joy comes when we see how God was working through impossible circumstances for our good. As long as he is working, I can find joy in the process. And lastly, in talking about the process, we have to learn how to trust the process. Proverbs 3 Verses 5 through 6. Verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. 
In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. The word trust, I've always just thought, I thought I've known what it meant, you know. I've always it's just understood what it means. But when you actually look at the, the definition of the word in the, the dictionary, it's the firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. To trust in something is to have faith in that. To trust in the Lord with all our hearts is to trust and believe him no matter what the circumstances in our life look like. We're going to trust him no matter what. No matter what we're facing, we're going to trust him. We're going to rely on him. We're going to have faith in him. There's a reference to the potter and the clay in Jeremiah And in this, we see God wanting to do some things for the children of Israel. He was wanting to change some things about them that he didn't like in that particular time. And I think it could be said today that sometimes we are that way. I know that I need God to always work on me. I'm a constant project for the Lord, I'm sure. Just ask my wife. (laughs) Amen. I I didn't expect that. (laughs) <laughs> I thought she'd be a little more subtle. Man. And when you look at the illustration of the potter and the clay, we see three things. The clay, it represents humanity. The will, it represents circumstances and things that occur in our world or in our lives. The will called life. The potter represents a picture of God. There are times that I can look back on my life and with an understanding I can say, I see now why I had to go through that. I can see now and understand a little better why that happened to me. Being on the wheel, being on the potter's wheels, it's not always easy. And even when you trust and you understand that the potter has you on a will for a purpose, it doesn't seem to make it any easier. However, if I've learned the process and I'm practicing the things I need to, if I'm putting my trust in God, I can have faith that no matter what I face or no matter how hard I'm pressed against or no matter how hard I'm pushed at by the devil, I can make it through. The beautiful thing about being on the potter's wheel is that it lets me know that God hasn't forgotten about me. If he's still trying to perfect me, he hasn't forgotten about me. If he's still working on me, he hasn't forgotten about me. If I'm being tested and tried, he hasn't forgotten about me. Each and every one of us are important to him. We can't believe the lies of the enemy that would make us think that we don't matter much or we're not important. We need to know that God cares about each and every one of us. And he's putting us through a process and he's putting us on his will because he wants to make us the best that we can be. Just like our scripture text said in Philippians 1 and 6, 
being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He started a good work in us all. And he will not stop working on us until he returns or until we perish. I'm reminded of the song as a kid. We learned he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Aren't you thankful tonight to know that the Lord still cares enough about us to continue to work on us? I'm glad to know that he's in control of everything. I'm glad to know that he knows everything. I'm glad to know that he knows what's coming tomorrow, next week, and next year. He sees my future. He sees that trial I'm going to face. He sees that hardship I'm going to have to go through. And I don't have to worry about any of those things. All I have to do is trust in him. He's given us a simple command, trust in him. It doesn't mean we worry about it. it. doesn't mean we got to figure it out. We just trust in Him. In a world of uncertainty, we serve an unchanging God. And I know it can be scary. I've had to battle it myself lately because I've probably stayed in the news a little too much. But it can be scary when you look at gas prices. And it can be scary when you hear of baby formula shortages. You can be scary when you hear of threats of war and uncertainty of, in China. With everything goes on, it seems like every day there's new news about what's happening, something new, something crazy happening. The world's in so much turmoil and there's so much confusion. You look at some of our young people that are in colleges nowadays, the way they believe, the way they're, they're kind of taught to believe, these things are scary. But through it all, through it all, there is a God that sits on the throne. And he is in control. And no matter how crazy things get, no matter how much crazier they get, we have to trust him. Not only is he our savior, but he is our provider. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Not a thousand cattle, but a cattle on a thousand hills. How many cattle do you have on one hilltop? I mean, how many could you have? Depends on how big the hilltop is, right? Could be 2,000. So he has 2,000 cattle on 1,000 hill. I don't even know the math on that because I didn't figure it out. That's a lot of cattle. The point is he owns it all. The point is he's in control of it all. And he is going to protect us through it all. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 26, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Then he goes on to end the chapter with verse 34. Take therefore, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. In other words, don't worry. Worry and fear are the opposite of trust and faith. Set your mind on things above, 
Philippians 4 says, think on good things. I could go on and on, but the point is God wants us to think on positive things. He doesn't want us to worry. He doesn't want his bride to worry. You know, when you think of a husband, at least this is my thought, when you think of a husband and a wife, the last thing I like to hear is my wife worrying. I do not like to hear her worrying about stuff. You know, because sometimes she'll come to me and she'll, she'll have the, all the confidence in the world when she deals with something, but she comes back to me later and is like, do you think I did this okay? you think I did that the right way? Should I have said this? Should I have said that? And I'm like, what? In the, I thought you had it all figured out already. Why are you worrying? We don't like for our wives to worry, and that's a simple example, but they tend to worry about other things too. And a man doesn't want his wife to worry because we think we got it all figured out. We think we have it all under control. And if we really have it all together and we really have it all under control, what's there to worry about? Because I'm the man, I got it under control. You don't need to worry, right? That's the way I feel. Probably wrong, but... It's the same way with God. We're his bride. But the difference is, unlike the man who thinks he has it all under control, God really does have it all under control. Amen. Can we stand? I told you I would, would be brief. Aren't you thankful you serve the one who holds the world in his hands? Are you thankful you can call him Lord and Savior? All he asks is that we simply trust in him. All he asks is that we just depend on him. It's very easy, because I struggle with this myself. It's so easy for me. My first instinct is to go figure it out myself. What do I got to do to make this work? No matter what it is, I want to go figure it out myself first because I know what's best. Too often do I do that and fail to first ask God what he thinks. Because he already has the answer. He already has the plan. He's already worked it all out. If we'll just take the plans from him and read those plans, it all makes sense. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you for this night, God. I, I pray that you'll be with us and go with us as we leave this place. Lord, I pray for a peace, God. For anyone that's struggling tonight, anyone that is having a hard time with fear or anxiety, God, I, I pray that you would give us peace. Lord, in an ability to trust you, God, in an uncertain world, you're the only reliable thing we have. God, I pray that you will give us that peace that only you can give. Go with us, Lord. Be with the Brits and everyone else as they travel. We thank you for your, your goodness and your mercy. And in Jesus' name.